Hello, everyone, and welcome to the new episode of the Women in Economics Initiative podcast. This is the first episode of a new podcast series on the econ job market. Our goal is to collect valuable information about the job market, tips on how to ace the market, and finally, experience from previous successful candidates. I'm Jelena, coordinator of the events team at WE, and your host this year. And today I'm joined by Davide Cantoni, Professor of Economics and Economic History at Ludwig Maximilian University in Munich. His research spans political economy and economic history. He is interested in the institutional development in Germany from the Middle Ages until 1900s, the political economy of education, and the evolution of political movements in Hong Kong. In this episode, we will discuss what is the econ job market, how it works, and what you need to participate. So, dear Professor Cantoni, thank you so much for taking time to be my guest today, and welcome to WE Podcast. Well, thank you, Yelena. It is really a pleasure to have you here, as uh, in the past couple of years, you have served as job market, not representative, but officer at LMU, and you have helped our candidates prepare for the econ job market. So I'm sure that your experience and knowledge will help out people who will listen to this episode. Yes, exactly. So thanks for the introduction. And yeah, thanks for, for uh, also reminding the audience of this. So of course, I'm here with my experience as a professor, but especially with my experience of the last years being the placement director at LMU Munich. So in that director position, I have prepared and trained several generations of PhD students for the job market. And, you know, the other little bit of experience that I want to bring in maybe today is that I've been on the market myself, uh, I think 11 or 12 years ago. And so even though the memories aren't that fresh anymore, maybe there's something to be learned from that. (laughs) Amazing. One more time. Thank you so much for being my guest today. And maybe we can start from the super basic question. What is actually econ job market? And why is there even a need to to have something like that? Yes, econ job market is... The, you know, the definition of the market, it's the market by which freshly minted PhD students find their first position, typically the first position after the PhD. So it is, you know, separate from the allocation of uh, students to PhD programs. It's separate from finding a job as a senior researcher, finding a job as a tenured professor. It's really about the transition from the phase of being a PhD student to your first job afterwards, which is typically either a postdoc position or an assistant professor position. Okay, now we know what is econ job market, but I also think that it's much more complicated. Yeah, I mean, what what is special is that it's not just an abstract definition of a market, just like there is a job market for doctors or there's a job market for any other kind of profession. It's that it is a very centralized and well-organized market. So economists have done a fairly good job, not a perfect job, at implementing a lot of things that we know from our own theory as to how to make such markets more efficient and finding better matches. And so, uh, you know, one of the defining features is that it's not just an abstract term for defining a market, but there is a, a physical location and where where these interviews take place. So this is something that we'll talk about in a second. Uh, but also there is a shared set of, of norms and a shared set of, uh, you know, expectations on how the calendar works and when... Uh, which steps have to be made. And we'll go through that, I guess, through the episode today in the podcast. Uh, But all that together sort of comprises the job market. The idea that there is a regular calendar and a regular set of dates and meeting places where all of this takes place and where economists find new jobs. 
Okay, so at least some certainty in this uncertain period of finding finding a new job for yourself. You mentioned that this is something that's centralized. Does that mean that there is a website called Econ Job Market where universities post their positions and people apply? So can you maybe tell us how, how that works? Yes. So I think, you know, to, to, to think about how that works, maybe the best way to go for it is to think through, through the, the, the calendar and think through it as, as basically a, a seasonal process that repeats itself every year again. And so maybe let's go through this as, you know, how would the standard, uh, standardized calendar look like for the typical candidate? So, you know, the season begins essentially in the summer, in the late summer when uh, the universities decide usually in the first meeting in the fall how many positions they have and what kind of openings they want to publish. And then these openings are published. And typically somewhere around September, October. In the past, it used to be that they're published once a month. Now they're published on a rolling base. So there's not a fixed date on which you should look on a certain website, but you know you just keep looking into a certain website. What is you know, in a way not so special about the econ job market relative to other job market is that there are specialized websites for that, as you already hinted at. And there are two main websites. One is econjobmarket.org, which is basically run, was created by a bunch of European economists and is basically run as a you know, private nonprofit organization. And the other one is the website run by the American Economic Association, which is actually the older one, which is called Joe, J-O-E, or Job Openings for Economists. Um, and so... Basically, every organization that wants to hire PhD economists, so could be research institutions like universities and research institutes, could be central banks, could be organizations that need to have PhD economists like international organizations, the OECD, the World Bank, and so on. So all of these places, if they have a job opening, they will post it on either one of these two websites or on both. And so... The first thing that you will have to do if you're a candidate on the job market, you know, after you've prepared yourself for going on the job market for the previous four or five years, is looking for the openings in October. The next thing that defines a job market is the application phase. The application phase typically begins in November. So the deadlines of these openings that are posted in September, October are around normally around either end of October, 31st of October, but more often 10th of November, 15th of November. And so, you know, that defines a second phase. So, you know, after having looked for the, uh, the openings and decided where you want to apply for, you send out your applications in early November. And, you know, we, I guess we'll talk about what comprises an application um, later on. Then the next step is something that the candidates don't need to worry about because in the following weeks, in uh, late November, early December, the universities and uh, hiring committees look at the applications and decide who to invite for interviews. And then the next phase begins, which is the interview phase. So you first have an interview, which is, again, something that the economists have converged on a very standardized and, if you want, even boring procedure on how to do it. And these interviews take place in one of two places normally either at the European job market, which is somewhere around mid-December, usually it's the third week of December uh, in some place in Europe, although this year it will be virtually again, or they take place during the meeting of the American Economic Association in some city in North America. And that is always in the first weekend of January. So in one of these two places or in both, you will go as a candidate and you will have this standardized interviews with ideally many places, 
these are standard interviews that always take half an hour. Um, and at least for most research-oriented universities, they all look almost the same, get almost asked always the same questions and so on. After that, the next phase begins, which is the phase of the so-called flyout. So universities or postdoc positions or research institutes or central banks have interviewed you. They find you interesting. They think you are promising and they want to know you better more than in the half-hour interview. And so they would fly you out. So that physically means that you're invited to the location to give a seminar, to present your work and to have meetings with the faculty. You always have well, normally also dinner. You stay for a whole day. Um, you get to know the people. And this is usually somewhere between mid-January and late February. And then after that, if you've been able to convince people that you're the right match, you will hopefully obtain a job offer in March. You will have maybe some negotiation. You might have two offers. If all things goes well, you might have to decide. And then in the end, uh, you will accept a job and then you will start a new job after the following summer. So maybe August 1st or September 1st in the following fall. So this is overall what defines the job market. All of those four or five phases, I lost count now, define what the job market is and define what to do essentially at each step. Amazing. Thank you so much for giving us the structure. Now, I think that for everyone who's listening, who is not sure how it works, you have really given us perfect timeline and what one should expect if decides to participate at the different job market. That brings us to another question. If someone wants to apply, what does he or she need? So there is some kind of application package and that consists of several documents. Can you maybe guide us? What, what do we need to prepare in order to apply? Yeah. So, so let's remind ourselves. So you apply for this as normally as a freshly minted or as an about to be minted PhD student, right? So, you know, depending on the place you're in, you've been a PhD student for four, five or six years. And in the last year of your existence as a PhD student, you decide to go on the market and, you know, you will go, as we just said, in the fall of your last year in order to have a job in the following year. So by that point in time, you're dissertation, your, your research work for your dissertation should be almost complete. You know, I guess the normal case is that people then submit formally the dissertation, maybe in the spring after the job market before they actually take on the new job. So you're almost a PhD economist, but not yet. Um, and so by that point in time, you hopefully have produced some interesting research. And one of the defining features of the job market among many others is the fact that there's a strong focus on one piece of research in your dissertation, which is the so-called job market paper. So again, in order to maybe increase gains from efficiency and make things easier and, and, and faster, the profession has somehow converged on the agreement that we mostly look at one paper of your dissertation. So I guess in most places and most listeners will have the classic case of a dissertation that consists of many chapters uh, in the most uh, boring case titled essays in economics and you know one of those four essays or three essays or whatever your school requires uh, should be your capstone sort of you know the, 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 your, your best paper and one that has some features so first of all it should be the paper that you think objectively ideally should be the one that is the strongest one the one that you know you know you always want to put your best foot forward the second thing is it should be ideally single offered paper and if it's co-offered, it should not be co-offered with a senior person or one of your dissertation advisors. So it should be something that represents what you can, what you stand for, what your abilities are, and not 
a project that might be awesome, it might be published in a top five journal, but is together with a senior co-author where people were like, you know, is it your idea or is it your co your advisor's idea? Um, if it's you know co-authored with other PhD students, you know, this happens more and more often. This is normally not a problem. But ideally, you know, in the in the in the in the standardized stereotypical case, it's a single authored paper, it's a very strong paper, the best paper in your dissertation. And it's also one that sort of represents a bit of a a summary statistic of who you are. It shows which methods you can use, which methods you really master, which topics you care about. All of this should be really come across. So don't choose, if you have four papers, don't choose a paper that is maybe you think is the strongest one, but one that is a topic that you're like, I don't care so much about the topic. I don't want to work on it. Then you better choose one that is really about the topic that you really care about and identify with. And so this is the core part of your package, your job market paper. This is what you will send in in your application package. The second thing that you will send in is your CV, but that's you know almost mechanical at that point in time. You will have a CV that lists your papers and lists which school you got educated from. And maybe you, know, maybe you have some other things, maybe you won some awards already in early in your career. Maybe you have done some other work, you've written some policy papers in between or so, you know, this is certainly something that will be in your CV, but that's not really a defining part of your application package. The third and you know, very important part of your application package, and is one that you have only partly under control, is the letters of your advisors. And so by the point you are in the job market, you should have at least three advisors um, that write a letter on your behalf. These could, you know, importantly, these not, need not be the same advisors that actually sign off your dissertation. You know, some schools have certain requirements. They need an external reader, for example. Or so, you know, it doesn't have to be the same set of people that actually sign off your dissertation afterwards. But there need to be three people, sometimes four, that can say something meaningful and important about you. And so by now, I think most faculty in most departments know how to write these letters. It's important that they are not, you know, shallow. They're not standardized letters like the ones that you probably received when you applied for your master's or so, you know, it's a standardized letter where, you know, your professor says you attended this class, you got that grade that ranks you, you know, ninth out of 500 students or so. Um, this is actually a very deep letter. It's a very, you know, for me, it takes me almost one or two days to write such a letter where you really go deep into, you know, who's the candidate, what are his papers, you summarize the paper, you write from peer to peer, you know, I write as a professor to my other colleagues at other universities as professors. I really write why I think you are such a good candidate, what the strengths of your papers are, why I think your papers are so deserving. And so these are letters that you don't see. They are confidential. They're submitted by uh, your advisors without you seeing them, but through the same system. And they actually represent as strong a part of your application as your job market paper. So you should really think of these two things as the really two most important and defining features. Then, you know, there would be maybe some other parts that you would have to prepare. Apart from your CV, you might have to prepare a research statement, a teaching statement. Some schools require a diversity uh, statement. You know, these are important parts. And for some schools, they're more important than for other places, but they are more ancillary. Thank you so much for laying out this information for us. I think it's it's really clear that it boils down to your job market paper and recommendation letters, everything else we should already have uh, sorted out throughout our PhD. Can I, can I add one thing maybe about the recommendation? I think yes, yes, please. It just comes to my mind. I think, you know, often, you know, especially if you come from a smaller school with, you know, a smaller number of set of people that you can talk to, 
maybe only one or two professors at your institution know you really well. And so maybe, you know, of course, the two of them will write a letter and then you might be looking for a third one. And so maybe it makes sense to look for a third person from outside. And so this is, you know, sometimes happens, you know, maybe you spend a year abroad during your PhD and got to know some very good people abroad that could really bring you forward. So you should definitely not hesitate and ask them to write your letter. Importantly, however, remember, these should be deep letters. So they it should be about people who really know you, who have really advised you, who really can write something profound about you and really understand what you work on and don't write a generic boilerplate letter. So always you know, look at this trade-off. You might have spent a year at a very good university and met a very famous professor, and you might have talked once or twice to this person. Really think about whether this person knows you well enough to write a well-founded letter, because sometimes it could be even backfiring. If you have a letter from a big name, you're like, oh, I'm going on the job market. I have this letter from this very big person in the profession, but then this person is just writing something very superficial. That's not going to help you. So really think about who knows you well, who can really say what your strengths as a person are. Amazing. I mean, this is already tip that you have shared with us and you have shared a couple of tips uh, even while you were discussing the structure and how package looks like. Maybe we can slowly close off the episode with one more tip from you that you would like to give to all the candidates that are going on market this year. Yeah, I think, you know, two things come to my mind, actually. So I'll have two tips. One is communicate a lot and early with everybody around you. Which means, you know, stay in constant communication with your advisors, for sure, but that's obvious and inform them of where you want to find someone. But also with your surroundings, with your family, with your spouse and partner, whoever is around you. That's important. You're making a decision for your next job. That could be a job for the next two years, for the next six years, for your whole life. You might be moving next year. You don't know. You might end up in Spain or Denmark. Uh, and so, you know, you want to really... Keep the people on board. Have everyone around you know what your options are and support you and, and know that they would actually approve of this if, if, you know, if, you came, if you came to that. So really communicate to people, tell them what the steps are, what is coming next for you and what kind of options you will have to decide from. It's easier if people are prepared in your surrounding. The second thing is try to stay positive. I think there's a lot of reasons to stress, for sure. It's a stressful time in your life, but... It's also one where you try to see the very positive things, and there are many of them. And you know, the fact that this job market in the end is very centralized, there's a very good flow of information, and it's also appeared in your life. If, you know, it's well organized for most part. You know, compared to many other ways of finding jobs, this is a fairly efficient one that exchanges information really well, that really values you as a person, as stressful as it might feel for you as part of a market, as an object in the market. But it's also something that is positive in a way. So most people will approach in the job market, even if you feel stressful to you because you're applying, most people are interested in you. They want to know you. They think you're interesting. And so keep that in mind. Everyone who will approach you, and there will be almost never again in your life a phase like this where everyone around you is really curious to know what you're doing. Most people, everyone actually, who will be talking to you, everyone who will be interviewing you, will have a positive prior about you. Because, you know, why would they waste time interviewing you if they didn't really expect you to be good? So really try to, in a way, as much as possible, you know, you need some stress to be productive and, and perform well in an interview situation. But at the same time, remind yourself that, It should be an enjoyable situation because people are intellectually curious about you and they want to know more about you. And so it should be also a good chance for you to say, hey, here there are amazing people that I can talk to. They're interested in me. It's a great chance for me. 
Absolutely brilliant. Thank you so much, Professor Cantoni, for being my guest today and for giving us this amazing intro to the econ job market. This was first episode of our new season, and I'm looking forward to all the upcoming episodes in which we'll discuss even more detailed about each part of the candidates package. Thanks so much for listening to this episode and stay tuned. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye. The views expressed in We Podcasts are those of the interviewers and the guests and do not necessarily reflect the opinion of the organization, its partners, other members, or any other affiliated people and organizations. We'd also like to thank Maddie Stevenson for writing and recording our original theme song. For anyone who would like to learn more about the Women in Economics Initiative, please find us online as well as on most social media channels.